Welcome to the Uncanny Adventures podcast. Hey, welcome back to Uncanny Adventures. Tonight, we're going to play some Call of Cthulhu. I am Jeanette. I'm going to be the keeper. Um, and I have with me my, my dearest friends, the Spell Squad and Powers of RPGs, Annihilation Game. So I've got Scotty Hood. I've got Dylan, and I've got Katie with me, and uh, next, next time we play, we'll also have another player join us. Mm. Um, we're going to play Call of Cthulhu, The Reign of Terror, um, written by Mark Morrison, and I'm um, really excited about this. Um, hopefully I don't mess up too much, we'll find out. So, hi guys, welcome back. Hi! Hello! Hello. Bonjour. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing that anymore. That's when you'll get out of me, that's all you'll get. I was about to say, you either get French or you get like Fat Albert. There's like no really. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, hey, hey. Sounds about right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're okay. to the wise. We apologize in advance for terrible accents at times. Um, I don't. <laughs> uh, I don't. Terrible accent attempts. And also, because it's called Cthulhu, uh, the content, content can get kind of weird or creepy. A little mad. Maybe. Uh, a little mad. Yeah, so just so you know, heads up, word of warning. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Alright, so before we jump into our adventure, why don't you guys, starting with Scott, why don't you uh, introduce your character for the evening? Okay, um, first off, never played Call of Cthulhu before, so this will be interesting, both mechanically and roleplay. I am playing Christophe Cressy. He is a very charismatic soldier who uh, is dashing and handsome, and he wants to go up into the higher ranks, maybe even becoming a general or a colonel. Maybe, maybe colonel, he'll probably settle for colonel. But more importantly, um... He wants the hand of the beloved Melody, but uh, she's the daughter of one of the higher-ups, and he's having none of it. So we got a little bit of a Romeo-Juliet thing going on. Like, we see each other in church, and, you know, what's <laughs> up? And she's like, sup? And, you know, we know what's going on. Sup, <laughs> girl? Sup? <laughs> yeah. And her aristocratic father is having none of that. Mm-hmm. The big way, quite literally. All right, Katie, who are you playing? I am playing Joseph Hugel, also known as um, uh, Martine Hugel. I am in disguise because my sweet, sweet husband, Joseph, um, uh, he, um, I took his place uh, because his, uh, his, his leg was amputated, right? right? I think that's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was injured, and I, I love that one of my um, my uh, one of my like traits is I love my one legged husband. <laughs> um, yeah, and my spirited sister Therese. Um, yeah, I am. Uh, I'm a. I despise the monarchy, and I would love to see my country uh, independent again. Um, I uh, try to keep away from people who might actually know my husband. 
who should have a wooden leg that I do not have. Um, I'm very adept at maintaining my uh, skill or my disguise and uh, being a provisioner as my husband was. And Dylan, who are you playing tonight? I am playing uh, Jean Dupois, a 50-year-old soldier from Gascony. Uh, He's been in the Army 25 years. He's never gone past the rank of private because he's kind of a surly drunk. Uh, He's a devout monarchist, so pretty much the opposite of Katie's character. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, oh, that's right. His uh, wife died last year after 20 years together. Oh, that's fun. I'm sure that that makes him quite happy. <laughs> it doesn't. That's a lot. So, rounding out this uh, group of French soldiers, uh, we have their soldier, <laughs> Sergeant Renault, who is a uh, very stern but fair leader who. Uh, has varying opinions about the men that serve underneath him, but as far as uh, leadership goes, he is uh, very trustworthy and very level-headed. We also have their comrade, uh, Babin, who has taken his leave to go retrieve his uh, son from college and bring him back to Paris for uh, his break from college studies. His son, Tazar, is studying to be a doctor at Montpellier. And their friend Bomin, who is another soldier, and he is very idealist, very, very much an idealist. Let's see if I can get louder. Somebody said I can. What? No, I'm not joking. I joke, sorry. Let me know if I sound a little louder now compared to everything. All right, so. We're going to begin. Huh, so, prologue to our adventure. In June 1794, we see a two wheeled cart with high wooden sides that rumbles through the streets of Paris. It's drawn by a tired looking horse. Men and women stand in the back of the cart, some downcast, some weeping. One man holds his head high. His back is to us, and we can't see his face. The cart passes along a street lined with crowds. They jeer at the occupants of the cart, laughing and making gestures by drawing their fingers sharply across their necks. But not everyone is mocking the carts. A middle-aged woman with two young girls, aged seven or eight, pushes forward and looks anxiously at the cart. She hugs the girls tightly to her side. A broken old man shakes his head as the cart goes by while a dog with a black ear runs after the cart. A soldier curses and aims a kick, and the dog howls and runs off. A young woman with close-cropped blonde hair stands by the road, silent, face heavy with grief. A bearded man, his face lined with worry, leans on his crutch and yells a name in anguish, but we can't hear him over the jeers of the crowd. And a young man, his face old beyond his years, looks at the cart with an air of resignation and turns away. The cart continues. Soldiers clear the way, and they keep the crowd at bay. Finally, the the cart rolls into a large square. At the center stands the guillotine. The crowd throngs around it. The cart reaches the base of the guillotine, and the man steps out first, his head held high. 
We see his broad back as he ascends the steps of the guillotine. The executioner steps forward to push him down, but the man kneels of his own volition. We hear the clack, clack, clack of women seated below, knitting, their eyes fixed on the platform. The blade is poised, a shining length of bright, sharp steel. The light glints off a small pattern on the blade, a concentric circle. The crowd holds its collective breath. Time stands still for an instant, and then the blade falls. And then we backtrack five years to the night of June 2nd, 1789. You are all on duty, helping as you've been assigned outside the catacombs of Paris. They're currently moving the bones from the graveyard into the catacombs because there's just too much overcrowding. So you've all been assigned the task of overseeing this. As a few nights ago, there was some trouble and the police could not keep the crowds from causing damage to the cart and beating up one of the priests who was helping with this. So, as you all know about, your sergeant is standing off to one side. He's talking to a very rotund man wearing a large wig that's sitting slightly askew on his head. He's sweating profusely, even though the night is chill. And as the men walk by carrying the skulls and bones, he points down the stairs. He's breathing heavily as if it's hard for him to talk. And he's telling them which way to put the bones and which way to put the skulls as they descend into the catacombs below. So, what are you all doing at this point? You are assigned to keep watch and to make sure that there's no trouble. And you could do a number of things. Uh, you could help carry a lantern down into the catacombs to guide these men who are working. You could help unload some of the bones and bodies from the cart and carry them with them. Or you can stand by the street side and just keep watch and make sure no one causes any trouble. I'm, I'm probably going to be at the street side making sure there isn't any trouble. So one, my job, because I, I want to eventually be a higher ranking someday. And two, see if there's any poor ladies who need some comfort <laughs> while they're mourning their dead ones. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I already hate you. <laughs> um, I am going to be uh, holding a lantern and guiding these soldiers. Okay. I'm probably at the street side with Cressy. Uh, okay. Because the the bodies and stuff kind of make me uncomfortable. God, I need courage here. So there are a group of priests who accompany the cart with the bodies. And they stay by the cart and let these hired hands move the bodies out and into the catacombs. And as this is happening... Uh, you you can see very very easily that the hired hands basically detest these priests because the priests are of an upper class to them, and they have no qualms about cursing at them under their breath as they pass. Some of them even kind of spit at their feet as they go, uh, but they continue to do their job because in desperate times it's very important that they make their wage for the night. 
And it's also pretty late. It's probably after midnight here. So there's not a whole lot of other foot traffic going on at that point. So, um, Hugel, you are carrying a lantern and you are helping these men, uh, kind of guiding them with a light down into the catacombs. So when you enter, it's a very tight spiral stone staircase that kind of descends down into the darkness. And as you come down to the bottom, the, the, the tunnels are very sort of dank. You can see in some places roots coming out. You can see these, like, bones piled here and there. There's even bones that have been used to sort of build the facade of the wall. Uh, why don't you give me a sanity roll as this sort of creeps you out as you see this? First roll of the night, guys. <laughs> And it failed marvelously! Don't go crazy now. Alright, so uh, you go down, and uh, as you get down and see all of this, it kind of it kind of shakes you up a little bit. Uh, so you lose one point of sanity as you feel this kind of chill go down your back from this just dark game. I have 69 sanity. Nice. Area. <laughs> Let's see. So... Meanwhile, on the street, you can still see uh, the two of you are standing uh, a little ways away from the sergeant, and he is talking to this doctor who you were introduced to, and his name is Dr. Regalt, and you were told that he apparently is uh, a physician of the court, and has actually been uh, charged with taking care of the dolphin, the uh, heir to the French throne. Because he's been very ill of late, and so the doctor is dealing with that during the day, and then overseeing the transport of the bodies at night. <clears throat> and uh, as you watch, you can see his eyes are like heavy. He's still breathing heavy, and he's like, skulls to the left, bones to the right, skulls to the left. And at some point, he just is like pointing, because he can't say it anymore. He's just worn himself out too much. So as you stand and sort of watch this and look over your shoulders, you're both startled by the sound of clattering horse hooves that are quickly approaching from down the street. You turn and you look back up the road and you see a carriage. It's white with red trim and it's speeding so fast that sparks are flying from the wheels underneath. You get a quick look at the driver. He seems to be clad completely in black. His face is masked and he's just driving toward the workers who are crossing the street with a couple of bodies heedlessly. You realize in an instant he is probably going to run them down. He does not appear to be intending to stop. Mm. Do you want to do anything to try to help these men? Could I fire off a shot? Sure. Maybe not. Maybe not to hit them, but maybe scare the horses off course. Sure, you can actually roll me an intimidate for that. Okay, so movie time. I roll d hundred, right? Yep. Okay. You said intimidate. Yes. Okay, so that was a sixty-two, and with my intimidate, it says fifteen. So uh, you fire off a shot <laughs> into the air, and this driver doesn't even seem phased by the shot going off. He flicks the reins, in fact, to speed the horse up, and now is almost on top of these two men. Dubois, is there anything you want to do in this instant? Uh, I'd like to. Sh- oh, I'd like to shoot the guy. 
You want to shoot the driver? Yeah. Okay, roll me, uh, which, which weapon are you using? Um, uh, my gun. Okay, so roll me for your musket, I believe you have? Yes, I have, well, actually, yeah, 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 I do have a musket. Yep. He. Oh. Well, that was a failure. Alright, so you aim, and you fire off another shot. It goes clear over the head as you miss the distance of the speeding carriage. The driver never even looks in your direction as the horses in the carriage plow over the men in the street and continue on as the men are flung to the side in bloody heaps to left and right. You see the sergeant is running in this direction screaming, what's going on? And the doctor is huffing behind him. (laughs) (laughs) He runs over and looks at them. What happened here? And you see, just in the darkness, the carriage disappearing from sight down the street as it goes. Report! What happened here? As you see the doctor leaning over his men. A, I'm assuming a rebel came in with a the vehicle and just just hit all of the workers. This poor man. Wait, off the road! As I'm like trying to get people like. Out of, this, out of here, if pedestrians are starting to come over and see what the hell up is. Yeah, the, there's a couple, the other workers like have put down bodies and they're running over to check on their comrades. The sergeant looks around and he says, they didn't even slow down? No. They did not. This is insanity. Meanwhile, uh, both of you can roll me a spot hidden check. Sure. Okay, this time I'll use roll 20. Green one? Right? Yeah, green guys? Okay. I spotted something. Okay. So uh you notice there's a scrap like a piece of paper that's sort of like floating down after all the hubbub as these uh other workers are yelling cursing into the darkness where the carriage went, Damn the Ristos! What the hell with you? And they're looking over their friends who the doctor stands up and he's like, nah, they're not going to make it. Take them into the catacombs. <laughs> and he starts lugging, and he uh, starts lugging himself back over to where he was sitting on the cart. So, uh, you see this paper kind of fluttering and you kind of scoop it up and pick it up. And you're looking at it and it looks like some kind of pamphlet. You kind of flip it open. And printed on the inside, it says, in big letters at the top, what is the third estate? And then there's three questions, and they're kind of in smaller print, and then there's three answers in bigger print. So the first says, what is the third estate? And then in huge letters, everything, with an exclamation point. Then it says, what has it been, what has it been until now? And it says, nothing an exclamation point. What will it become? And it says something with an exclamation point. So you recognize this as uh, there's been a lot of um, propaganda that's been being printed. Uh, There's, you know that in Versailles there's a a huge sort of conclave of different groups meeting the the aristocracy, the middle class, and the poor are all represented, and they're trying to figure out the government of France under the king. 
And this stuff has been being printed more and more as this becomes kind of a hotbed issue amongst the people. It's sort of to get the support and kind of get involved in this and let them know what's going on. I, I guess Christoph just sighs because this has been going on and just like, oh, what a miserable time we did then as I go over and start helping take some of those bodies in, the ones that are still alive, I guess. Mm. Yeah, Dupont goes over and uh, sort of messes with the guys who are like, you aristocrats, and just like gets them back to work. They they uh, look at you, and they look like they got a little fight in them, but one of them kind of slant, slaps his friend on the chest and says, we need the coin. Get back to work. Yeah. They'll go back and start collecting bodies out again and start moving them away. Scowl at them. Uh, Pressy, do me a favor and make me a um, make me a luck roll. So a luck roll. Is yeah. that <laughs> Yeah. So on your character sheet, you have a, a luck. So the way luck works is, uh, you make a luck roll for certain things when I ask to see what things may happen. You can also spend luck if you're uh, rolling another skill and you're close to a success, but you fail. You can spend some as many luck points as it takes to get there, but they're deducted from your total. So as you spend them, you're or if you need to skirt death. Or if you need to skirt death. The only thing you can't use luck for is you can't use luck for sanity checks. Well, I guess I'm lucky for at least the first try. Beginner's luck, I guess. Yeah. Okay, yep. Yeah, so you get an extreme so so you're helping move these bodies, and yep, you're doing fine. No worries. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> All right. Here, here's me, not not there. So, um, so the doctor uh, has gone back. He's wheezing heavily from having had to walk a short distance to uh, help the ju- the men that had died, and he's just leaning there, wiping his brow, which. It's fairly comical because he's he's wiping at like the makeup and stuff that he has on his face, and mm-hmm. he's making kind of a, a serious mess of himself. So a while passes and things kind of calm down. The workers get back to their regular level of grumbling. Um, at some point, you fail. Know, you you come back up out with your lantern with one group, and another group goes down into the catacombs, and all of a sudden there's a whole lot of yelling. You hear heavy footsteps running up the stairs out of the catacombs. And you see these workers that had just gone down, just bolting out and, and dashing into the road, like away from the opening. Oh, what did I miss? And they're like, there's a monster down there. We're not going back down there. Oh my God. What are you on about? What are you, children? Restless spirits, monsters. They're, we we can't go back down there. It's haunted. The only monsters are us men. No, you don't understand. <laughs> the eyes, they glowed. We had to run. You're obviously seeing things. We're not going in there. It's too dangerous. They'll eat us alive. Revolt sort of sits up, the doctor. Mm-hmm. Takes a big breath and he's like, Get to work now! And they're like, we're not going back in there. We're staying right here. There's something dangerous down there. We have no way to protect ourselves. And 
Regal looks at your sergeant and mm. says, Shoot one of them and the rest will go back to work. Okay. And uh, I, sergeant, I look at the sergeant. He uh, takes and he looks at Dupont and he says, Yes, Dupont. Mm. Choose one to shoot. Okay. But he seems a little upset, like, looking at his face, like, he doesn't want to do this, but he's following the orders because this man represents the king. Exactly. If I can, I look away. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll shoot one then. <laughs> um... What is happening? <laughs> I walk away from you, Chuckle Fucks, for five minutes. Dupont <laughs> uh, will shoot the one that seemed to be the most argumentative, I guess. Okay, so you're going to uh, shoot him with your gun uh, because it's point blank. And you see them startled, like they start to kind of back away. You actually get a... Um, Bonus die because yes. you are able to do it up in point blank range. Wait, 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 Dylan. What's your musket percentage? Oh, uh, I'm not sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know where I'd find that. All right, so it's on your character sheet. Ah. Uh-huh. And if you uh, let's see, Dubois, you scroll down about halfway on your character sheet, like all your attacks should be down there. Weapons. Okay. It's a musket point lock. <laughs> Okay. Where's where's the like percentage thingy? Oh. <laughs> That's not a good shot. Jeez. Okay. That's, wow. So uh you you actually like raise the musket and you go to fire it and you're looking at this man down the barrel of the musket and you're thinking to yourself, while you are a soldier and you have fought and you have killed in battle, you're looking at an unarmed man. You're looking at a citizen of France, and for just a second, you flinch and shoot, and the the bullet goes, the musket shot goes out and uh, into, like, the side of the wagon. And the man sort of jumps back and looks around, like, surprised. But I still need you to make a sanity roll. See, sanity. Um, the higher the higher percentage, the better you are at a skill, right? Yes. Yeah. You're looking for a low number, so if you can get a you, you want to roll under your percentage. Yep. Gotcha. That seems pretty good. <laughs> Let's see. What did you get? You got an extreme. Oh, wait. It didn't show up yet. Yeah, it doesn't come up. Oh, no, there, there, there All right. All right. So, um, you do lose only a single point of sanity as you are a little shaken by, by this. Um. You gotta make the shot clean. Make it quick. I turn around and fire at him. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh my. Alright, so god damn it! <laughs> Do me a favor and just roll me a sanity check. I hope a monster's eating me in the catacombs already. <laughs> oh my dad. Yeah, you had just walked out with another group when all of this went down. Just re- just remember, we're just following orders. <laughs> then I roll sanity. <laughs> Alright. Oh. Oh. 
Let's see. So. so Just following orders. <laughs> and uh, you you shoot him and he falls dead on the ground. And you, so you will lose one point of sanity as this unarmed man does collapse to the ground. And you are a little shaken by having uh, put him down. But the rest of them kind of look surprised and they go back and start picking up bones and bodies. They hesitate at the, at the opening of the catacombs and then look back and say, uh, maybe, maybe an armed soldier could accompany us again since we have to take these down even though there are monsters down here. You damn cowards. How go? Is I turn to my superior? Uh, so the sergeant looks around and says, um, yes, uh, Romains will remain at the street with me if you three want to accompany them down and protect them from whatever this monster is. It's probably rats. Uh, Jeanette, did I see anything down there? Uh, no, you didn't see anything when you were down there with the others. It was just dark, dank, musty, and creepy. All right. So do the three of you accompany this group of men down into the catacombs? Yeah. I don't think there's anything down there. So. All right. So, <laughs> so as you guys proceed down into the catacombs, I need Cressy and Dubois to please make these sanity checks as the creepiness of this place does kind of settle in a little with you. Ah. All right, so uh, Tressy will take one point of sanity damage as uh, you, you too feel this, this chill uh, as you kind of go down and you see all these bones lining the walls and you step in a puddle and it's gross and sticky and there's a skull kind of that dropped on the side and is lying on the floor looking up at you. And these men start... Uh, going along down this tunnel. And the catacombs are very vast um, as you go. Some places you have to stoop a little. If you're um, almost six feet tall, you kind of have to stoop because the tunnels are low. Um, some of the tunnels are very skinny, but they open up as you move through here. And you kind of follow the group that's taking the skulls into their corner, and they're, they're bringing them into this bigger room, and they're stacking them kind of on top of each other in a corner. And there's already a very large pile. And some of the skulls are like old skulls that the skin is already like melt, you know, rotted away from. But some of them are still like, they still have the skin a little bit and they're like kind of gross and icky as they put them there. Um, and as you're standing there, I need you all to make listen checks for me. Okay. God damn it! <laughs> Fuck both of you. Fuck <laughs> those games for me. It's cool because Martine is just sort of standing there with her head down, mad that she walked out to see Pressy murdering someone in cold blood. I thought so. You probably are like, besides the workers, you're probably the most not wanting to be here because we both just tried to shoot these guys. Yeah, I'm not happy. Yeah, just sort of head down, sulking. Okay. So. Tressy and Dubois hear a noise off to your left down one of the, like, in one of the other side tunnels. So the two of you can roll me spot hidden. Okay. 
You're looking down this tunnel and you and you hear it's sort of this this crunching sound, but you can't see anything in the darkness down there. But it definitely sounds like something's making this crunching like like a like a eating noise or like a stepping on bone noise. It, it, it's <laughs> hard to tell from from over here. With my critical listen, you know, I'm able to discern it sounds like somebody's like walking on bones, or if it sounds like if not walking critical, on bones. It maybe sounds like something maybe gnawing on a bone. Uh, it says the sergeant said, rats. Ugh. So if you yell at that moment, you, you notice them both looking down this darkened corridor. You can roll me a spot hidden if you want to. I have to get out of here. Katie, you go. <laughs> yeah. I can roll one? Yes, yeah. Because you see them looking and sort of discussing the sound that, they, um, that they're talking about. Uh, it's cool. I didn't even need to roll it anyway. <laughs> so you all, you look and you're, you're not sure what they're they're looking at or what they're listening to. You don't see anything but darkness down this tunnel. The men that you walk down with like are putting the bones down and they're like, oh, all right, next road, we're going back up. And they start heading back toward where the staircase is. Okay. Dubois will shout down the tunnel. Who goes there? Rats can't speak. The gnawing stops, and you can hear like a splash, like something moves, and then it, then it stops again. And now it's quiet. So my. Yeah. <laughs> um, am I beginning to hear this now? Yeah, you definitely hear this like splash, like something hit a puddle. I think it sounds more than a rat. Some weird monarchist cockamamie, perhaps. Let's make sure the workers still work. I'll take the rear. Yeah. We'll go up after the workers on. Alright, so as you guys uh, start following them out of the tunnel, they sort of double-timed it up and moved, even though it's darker that way, they, they kind of headed back up as quick as they could. I wonder um, why. Tressie, you hear it, sound, it almost sounds like something's following behind you. Obviously going to keep an eye behind me. Mm-hmm. Make a spot hidden check as you're looking over your shoulder trying to see if you can spot something coming behind you. Alright, so you look back and you see a shadow. It looks like it stops just at the edge of your lantern light. It's sort of low to the ground. It's low to the ground. Is it, um, I I guess I'll go D&D terms. Does it seem medium-sized? Does it seem like our size, relatively. It does look like a, a large, like maybe a person crouching in the dark at the edge of the light. And then uh, the lantern light just illuminates 
these two yellow eyes that are staring at you. When I don't notice, when I don't notice, like Pressy following behind, I'm just like, "Are you busy trying to shoot something?" I'm trying to think what you would do in this situation. <laughs> I point my musket at this person, and I say, "Did you get lost?" Are you one of the workers? I doubt it. Now, quick question. Did you reload your musket after you shot the man up below? I would, I'd assume being an expert with it, I would almost instinctually do that. Okay. Uh, so the figure does not respond to you. And it's not moving now. It's, it's almost like it's melded into the shadow back where you were coming from. Well, I can see you. <laughs> Come out of the shadows. Do you want to roll an intimidation check? Um, I'm really bad at that, apparently, but sure. Roll it anyway. It's fun. It's fun to fail and call them Cthulhu. I'm a lover, not a fighter, believe it or not. Ugh. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot. The, the, two, the two yellowed eyes uh, sort of blink at the edge of the lantern light. And Hugo, you can make a spot hidden check. To see if you see them reflect in the light. Okay. Uh, just nah, just I, I, I'm not. No. <laughs> no. So you uh, you kept walking. Yes. All right. I have. At some point, you look over your shoulder, realizing that you are alone in the tunnel in the catacomb. There's the men ahead of you who beat you up the stairs, and your two comrades have you left them behind somewhere. You hear, no, the, echo, you hear the echo of Pressy uh, say, Come up, I see you. I will go stomping back that direction then. You hear a footstep stomping back towards you, cue Pressy and Hugo. I don't, I don't see anything. It hasn't moved at all, right? Nope. It's not moved since you saw it stop. I keep my gun pointed right between the two glowing eyes, and I slowly start to retreat, but I keep facing them, but I want to see if it will try to advance as I retreat. Okay. So, Pressy, you start to back up. You go. You back up with Fuzzy? Uh, yeah, if he begins to push back, then I'm going to go back with him. As the lantern, like, moves, the light kind of moves further away, Fuzzy, you see the shadow move to the edge of the lantern light again, and the eyes blink. And this time, you, yeah, you actually see the shadow move as you're watching between Fuzzy and this hallway. And it looks like something just moves on all fours, just to the edge of the light. What the hell is that? And then a steamer bone kind of rolls out from the darkness with, like, chew marks in it. Okay, now I'm going to fire (laughs) soon. All right, so roll uh, to shoot with your weapon. Watch me fail this. Just watch it. 
As you're coming down around the corner, you just come in sight. You see you yell at Cressy's back. So you see Cressy has his musket up, and it fires as you round the corner. The echo in here is like a little deafening, the pop. Uh, and you see a spray of blood hit the side of the wall. It's kind of like a little dark. It starts dripping down, and you hear this like grunt, and then you hear the sound of something running away into the darkness. I still have, uh, I still have the lantern, right? Yes, you do. I'd like to step forward across, uh, around Pressy. Not like far from maybe like a couple of feet just to see if I can see if there's any blood or anything left, any more bones. Do you have any weapon drawn right now? I don't know. I have a weapon, but I'm drawn. I advance with you with my bayonet out. <laughs> mm. Alright, so you guys, you step forward with the lantern, and you illuminate, like, the spot from where the blood is on the wall, and you do see a fair amount of blood, and you see a trail leading off into the darkness. Once more, what the hell was that? Probably, probably some crazy... I mean, if someone's willing to run into somebody, into workers with a cart, who knows what one of these workers could have done if they got lost. It's pretty easy to get lost down here, if I remember correctly. Sounded like it was a little forest. An animal? If in the right situations, all men can be humans. And Clark comes up behind you guys and says, uh, Especially these revolutionaries. They are half animals themselves. You see me visibly jump. I actually like turn around. <laughs> what are you shooting at? There was a creature. What do you mean a creature? I look at, I look at Tracy like... It, it crawled on all fours, but it... It didn't back away until I fired him. Got a clear shot of him. And and, and uh, she points at the blood on the wall, the fresh blood. Is it? Does it look like? Is it like red blood or is it like black, like ichor kind mm. of blood? It's, it's kind of halfway in between those two. Oh. It's not. It, it looks almost like it, it might. It, it you think it was an old blood, like it had been there a little while. Mm. It had been a stray dog. Some would have been muds in the street. I wouldn't be surprised they come down here to try to feed on the remains of these poor people. You guys yeah. all hear heavy footfalls running up from behind you. And you see uh, Michel Gomez, the other, mm-hmm. the other man from your unit, like charging in. And he comes running around the corner carrying his musket and stops and aims it down the hallway. Oh! What is going on? Vermin in the catacombs. Dupont comes up to Beaumains and like puts his hand on his gun and holds it down. He says, Be careful when you point at you fucking idiot. I was told by the sergeant to come and check on you. None of those shots go off. Hmm. And how would the sergeant feel if you shot his own men? He would not be happy with me, I'm sure. No, he would not be happy with you. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, give him a break. He was just worried. Oh, shut up, you idiot. You're shooting at stray dogs down here. 
We are supposed to be watching the workers. Yes, we're back up there, but they're scared again because of the musket shot. They said the monster must have eaten you. <laughs> there, there is no monster. It was a stray dog. He looks past with the blood on the wall. Oh, not anymore. It looks like you got him. Uh, it, good. it did run away after perhaps it's going to die. Should we so shake it down and make sure it's dead? <laughs> I don't. I, I, I'm sure Pressy got a good shot. Was point blank. Is there is there any form of like medicine check to be to discern any blood loss or anything? Sure, you can now uh, go over and do a, a medicine check to see if you can figure out how badly wounded the creature was by how much blood is left behind. I'm, I'm thinking because Pressy actually does come from a nice family. Maybe he's thinking of like um, fox hunting or something. You know. Oh my god, am I bad at this? Here we go. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You look around, you kind of shrug. Think it's dead. <laughs> we don't hit anymore, must be dead. Let's just go up. Alright. So, Bowmanes will turn around, shoulder his musket, and walk back toward the entrance with the rest of you. As I'm going back, I, I'm just since I'm just so bad at this. I, I turn around and I'm just reloading. I'm just reloading as we're moving, if I can. Yep. Take your time. Just you know, you slow your pace just to get the musket loaded properly. All right. So when you get back up to the street level, uh, you see it looks like a horse and rider has come up, and you recognize immediately that. This man is Captain Louis Malone. He is your sergeant's uh, commanding officer. He sees you all and he turns and gives you a salute. And he turns back and he is in a hushed, whispered conversation with the sergeant and the doctor for a few minutes. The sergeant motions you back to the road to kind of keep watch. And then both Malone and the sergeant walk over to you. Hmm. But he says, uh, the sergeant looks around to all and says, I'm ordering you to leave your post immediately. There has been an incident, and I want you to go and take care of it. The sergeant is in charge of this. I want you to get to this situation before the police, as they are incompetent and can't handle anything, and we need to make sure this is taken care of by our men. He says, I need you to leave here and go to the printing press at the Rue de Love. We have a word from the landlady, Madame Bossac. There has been a murder. You must get there as quickly as you can and find out what happened. And collect any evidence you find. And keep the locals away from the scene. Keep them out of the press. Keep them away from the bodies if they're already there. I need you all to handle this. Sergeant? And he... Do not let me down. And he goes back and mounts up on his horse and turns and gallops back the way he came. The sergeant looks around and says, Our work here is done. To your horses. We must go at once. <laughs> so you all go untether your horses where you uh, tied them up a little ways up the road. Uh, riding is not, uh, won't make you make ride checks <laughs> because you're not uh, going at any kind of gallop. This is uh, yeah. 
you know, you're riding through town, so you're going to have to take it easy. And um, so the sergeant will lead the way. And you all know that the Wind Bluff is not far from here. Mm. So you ride away from the catacombs. You actually have to ride uh, through one of the gates of the city of Paris because Paris is surrounded by a wall. It's actually closed in by a large wall. So you ride in and you come into the city itself. There's a lot of new architecture uh, out toward the wall. There's a lot of floors of boulevards. There's nicer houses, nicer construction. And as you're riding in and you start to ride a little way in toward the center, uh, the streets get a little more cramped. The buildings are a little older, a little taller. And you're surprised as it's now about 3.30 in the morning. You oh, come around the corner and you see uh, there's a bakery and there's like a small crowd already gathered outside the bakery. And they seem to be uh, yelling at a man who's standing in the doorway. And you can hear the gun going. I am so sorry. I had to. That's my one. <laughs> I'm actually doing pretty good. I, I want to do it. <laughs> That's my one. All right. So as you're writing, you see this little crowd that's gathered. And uh, you all know that the, the lower class citizens in Paris are finding it really hard to afford food. The price of bread has skyrocketed. It actually takes almost half of a family's income from lower class just to get a couple loaves of bread and feed their family. You also know that the it's in such high demand for the, the ingredients for the bread that there's like a waiting list at the bakeries. Even before they get the ingredients, even before they make the bread, they've already sold their quotas. So if you're not on the list, you're kind of shit out of luck. So as you're riding by, you see these people, and they're yelling at the man in the doorway. And you can see behind him, he's got like his wife and his kids, and they are screaming for that they want their bread. They know he got a shipment in. And he is apologizing. He's I cannot give you any bread. I am already spoken for. All of my supply is spoken for. You have to go home and wait for the next supply. And I, there is nothing I can do. Get away from my shop and leave me alone. And it looks like the sergeant is kind of ignoring it and is just going to ride by and let this handle itself. Okay. Do I have any food in my pack? Like um, in my bag? You probably, uh, what do you look for? Let's see. Yeah, because I've been so lucky with my rolls, Jeanette. You know? <laughs> yep, that. Yep. 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 Can, uh, I have to. Uh, that's so much luck to spend. Oh, that's so much luck to spend. That's what? 12 luck to spend? Um, yeah, that's. Uh, well, you rolled a 78 and. To 60. So you'd have to spend 18 luck. 18. I, I was not that far off. <laughs> My math is getting better. No, I'm not going to fish it. Alright, so you, you all ride past, and mm. this crowd is uh, yelling, and the baker's trying to calm them down. I, I, I am going to. I'm not. I, it just changes my plans a little bit. Okay. I'm going to uh, pull my horse to a to a uh, um to it to a to a halt um and like 
like get off and uh, like push my way through the, the crowd as a soldier, you know. Okay. Excuse me, and, and go up, go up to the man, and uh, are, are you sure you have nothing you can give? Nothing at all. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, sir. No, I, I have already had all of my supplies spoken for. I, there is nothing I can do. If I give to these, the people who have already paid will go without. And I cannot make up that yet. I have used the money to pay for the supplies. There are children starving right here. I, I, I know. It's, it is a terrible time in, for us Frenchmen. Do you not keep extra for yourself? Uh, no, we have we have no extra stuff. I'm sorry. And you hear the people lies. You you could feed us if you wanted to. You have a Can I realize psychology to see who's lying. Sure. Psycho oh, oh, that's skill. <laughs> Success is he lying. Wow. Um, no, you you know uh he is not lying. <laughs> Yeah. That would work. <laughs> um, I write up next to you and say, "We are not with the Son of God. We do not have infant bread in these baskets. Let's move." You do, uh, uh, Jacob, when uh, like looking at him and kind of judging the situation. Um, you you think maybe you could try to to either talk this crowd down or even maybe intimidate them, like to go home. Um, yeah, that was my next. I was going to try to persuade them. Um. Uh, she, I'm gonna turn around and be like, I, I understand. I understand your hardship. He he suffers just as much as you do. Please go home, rest, and, and continue to try, just as the good Frenchmen do. Roll me persuasion. Extreme. Oh. So yeah, you know, you you speak to these these people as a, another Frenchman. They see you, even though you're in a uniform that they they tend to detest sometimes because it, it, they see you as part of the aristocracy. When you talk, the way you speak to them, the inflection, they realize that under that uniform, you're a Frenchman just like they are. And little by little, they disperse and they head home and leave the situation. Well, I get back on my horse and continue. The baker's wife waves to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, good sir. Have a good evening. You ride and catch up with uh, the rest of your group who continued on, ignoring what was going on. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> so. Sometimes you call Cthulhu, eh? <laughs> of times, but you you did you did help a little town baker, so I mean, good times. All right. Like I'm just trying to recover from Dylan playing a character who's a dick. I hate this. <laughs> this is like me not like this is not like me on Sunday not liking Dylan's character. I'm I am so thrown off right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I never played. Dude, this is yeah, that's, I, this why, is, that's why I picked this character. This is complete 180 for me knowing you guys, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, the Sargon, Romans, and Gupat, uh, you are first to arrive outside the printers. Uh, as it seems, Google uh, and Fetsy have fallen behind for one reason or another. Not sure what's keeping them. Uh, but as you write up, uh, you can see that there's this long, dark tenement building. 
you ride and you can see like around the corner of the side of it there's a side door and even from the street it looks like the side door has been smashed inward it's kind of in pieces um you also see that a group of people has kind of started to gather outside the front of the building on the street and mm. they're sort of uh carrying lanterns a couple of them have candles they all appear to be in their night shirts as if they were woken from sleep uh some of them are Quietly, uh, sort of crying, but others are starting to get loud and angry. And as you ride up, you hear cries about, They think they can do things like this. You also notice, sitting on the stoop, sort of staring straight ahead, not even responding to this group, not responding to you riding up. There's this small woman, like an older woman, maybe in her like late 40s. She's got a shawl draped over her shoulder, and in the moonlight, she just looks like, pale white, and she's just staring ahead with this look of just like shock on her face. Okay. The sergeant dismounts, he ties off his horse, he looks at Romains, and he says, With me, we will deal with this crowd. He looks at Dubois. See to that woman, and figure out where the stragglers have gone to. Find you yell and press you when you have a moment. And then you go over to start talking to the, the crowd that's gathering. Okay. Uh, I will go over to the woman then. As you walk up, she just continues to stare straight ahead. Oh, jeez. I say, bonjour, madame. Make a persuasion check to gently try to rouse her. Or you can okay. try to intimidate her if you so choose to, to shake her out of it. Hmm. I will try to persuade it first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! Oh my God! So, in this private moment, with none of his comrades around to see this, Dubois is a gentle soul to this woman who looks shaken to her core. Remind you with that boy? I was gonna say she probably does. So you you lean in and you you say bonjour, and at first she doesn't respond, and you probably like put your hand on her shoulder, mm. and she turns and she makes eye contact with you, and you see just a tear roll down her eye as she starts to cry a little. And she says bonjour, Monsieur. Is this uh? Your building? Oh, we. Oui. I am the landlady here. We are told there is a murder here. Oh, oh Tom, it's, it's my fault. It's all my fault. I told him. I told him. I showed him the door, sir. I showed him. Oh, sir, just stands back up. He's not very good at the, the human emotion thing. So he's like, hmm. At this point, you hear the clop of horses as he yell and press and catch up. He, he asks the woman, um, do you know who did this crime? She wipes the tears and she uh, pulls the shawl a little closer and she says, oh, it was... There was a, a, a knock, a curtain knock at my door, and I, I answered the door, though it was very late, and there was a dark cloak, Aristo, standing on the step, 
He he grabbed up his lips with a a, a, a lacy handkerchief. It reminded me of a woman's handkerchief, but he grabbed up his lips with it. He says to me, he says, Oh, madame, please tell me, where is Monsieur Raymond, the printer? He lodges downstairs, does he not? And I thought nothing of it. Many people come looking for Monsieur Raymond. So I said, yes, yes, there. And I took him and I pointed around the corner at the door. And he, as I was pointing at the door, I saw his carriage sitting parked. And she points at the street. Parked there. The door was slightly open on his carriage. And I saw, I saw a, a woman's hand fall from the carriage and hang limp. Hang limp outside the door again. Just, and I, I swear it was lifeless hanging there. And he says, ah, yes, so that is Monsieur Roman. Yes, now you, you woman, go inside. I lock your door. And no matter what you hear, do not come back outside, is what he told me. And I saw the hand, and, and I ran back inside, and she locked my door. And, and, and there was slamming. And they were screaming, and then, and then there was no more. This printer, do you know he was a monarchist or a revolutionary? Uh, I, I, I do not know his business. I only, uh, he paid his rent, his family was kind, he, his wife and his two sons, and they were good tenants. Hmm. Thank you. He was sure. I'm so sorry for what I did. It's not your fault. So as the two of you, uh, Pressy and Miguel, dismount and tie up your horses, uh, just make me uh, spot hidden checks as you move in to the area. Success! Woohoo! Um, so, Miguel, as you uh, tie up your horse and turn to walk over to where Dupont is standing with this woman, you see crumpled on the ground uh, out of, there's this white linen just lying on the ground. I'm going to pick it up. Alright, so when you do, you pick it up and it unfurls, and it's this lacy white handkerchief. It's silken, the, you know immediately by the touch, it's, it's of the finest quality. Because I'm a lady. There's, <laughs> there are initials embroidered <laughs> in the handkerchief. Mm-hmm. The initials M A are embroidered in the handkerchief, mm-hmm. and there is a stain of red on the corner of it. Do I assume it's blood? Um, it, it definitely. Or at this point, it could be like dirt from the ground, but it does have a little like it's a dark, sort of maroon brownish. <laughs> Looking at this, being in this time and era, uh, the quality of this. Make me uh, an idea roll. Roll me an, like a, an, an intelligence, I think it is. Yeah, intelligence. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm no. spending. I'm spending Are nine you? points. Uh, because no, that's so close. Alright, so spend your nine luck. No, right. that, no, there's no way. So in this moment, holding this handkerchief and, and looking at it and the quality, um, you think of Marie Antoinette, she's the only, like, the queen of France, M.A., like, this is, this is that kind of quality, like, only someone with a lot of wealth 
would have something like this. Um, <clears throat> do I see um um my uh, your uh, uh um superior uh uh <laughs> like stepping away from the the woman who's speaking to. Uh, you do see the clock kind of moving back away from this little woman. And you can see, uh, standing on the street side, you see the sergeant sort of back and forth with these night-shirted men, telling them, calm down, we are here instead of the police because we handle these things much better. The police can't be trusted, you know this. And they're like, you are a murderous still scum too. Um, I walk over to Dupont and, uh, and hold out the, uh, the, um, handkerchief very carefully. Sir, this is, uh, I just found this. Some, you know, my, my wife works in provision selling things. Like, this is very, very high quality when look at the initials in A. Okay. Uh, well, seeing the handkerchief, I, I look over at the woman. I'm like, what, what's she doing? Is she looking our direction? She's sort of still, like, she's watched you walk away, and she's, like, furtively looking back and forth up and down the street. Okay. Uh, I will tell uh, Hugel what the woman told me then. About the, um, she saw the handkerchief? Yep. Could this be the handkerchief that was dropped? It seems likely. So I do not know, uh, why it would have these initials, though. I, I doubt that the Marianne Clinic would be here in this area. <laughs> yeah, you yes. all think that, uh, you all would think to keep this kind of quiet conversation because this, that would be a, like, hugely, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> a no no. Especially yeah. amongst the poor like this. You all, you know that the poor hate her. Like, with a passion, they despise her. Um, so when you're standing there kind of looking around, you do notice, um, after Dubois talked about this, uh, you know, everything about the carriage and things like that, you can see where this a carriage would have parked. You can see there's actually like a pile of fresh manure where the horses might have like taken a dump. Uh, so you can see it parked like right at the curb at the entrance to the side alley that led to the door on the other side. The sergeant sort of walks over at this point and says, uh, so... What have you discovered? Well, I will tell the sergeant what I have discovered. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Hugal is holding on to the handkerchief as long as uh as long as she can. Okay. Like, unless they're specifically taking it from her, she's she's holding on to it. Well, as soon as the handkerchief comes up, the sergeant does want to see it. Oh yeah, she's showing it. She's not like. Keeping it, but, but like unless they're taking it from her, she's going to try to keep it herself. But she's not like keep. She's not not. She's not withholding it, but she wants to keep it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, he, mm -hmm. he does though. He asks for it. Says, oh, I, I must. Yeah, she reluctantly hands it over. Then he folds it quickly and he sticks it in a pocket to get it out of sight. And he says, um, "Does the woman know anything else?" She did not seem to. It's possible. All right. Romains and I will keep the street. The three of you. Investigate the door. See what they used to find inside. Okay. I like to think uh, he's just, he knows he's got the investigator thing. 
I'm just sitting back listening to all of this. How are you guys going? I, I, I obviously will like do my job when need to. Hmm. I'm not like slacking off, but I do whistle a fine tune, maybe like a like a uh, recognizable church song or something, because he used to be in the choir when he was in the uh, monastery where he got his education. So for funsies, I wanted to do a sing check. Okay. Ooh. Oh, wow. So while Fuzzy is singing, it actually soothes the old woman. She seems to react and relax a little bit. And even the crowd that's gathered there, they they seem to kind of calm a bit by this. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of a nice, relaxing moment in this questionable darkness that's happening here. I like to think I just stop right when I step on the manure when I didn't see it. <laughs> There's a squish. And the woman looks over and says, oh, Yes, that, that is right where the white carriage parked itself before the man came to my door. And look, there's a cat. Oh. <laughs> the pussycat was attacking my boots. Attacking boots. Oh, wait, you said a, a white carriage as I get closer to her? She Did I have? Was it gilded or Oh, it was white with, with red trim. That's red, red trim, that's what, that's what I meant. Yes. I'm distracted by the shield of this boot, don't worry. Sergeant's like, go, oh, check out that door. Hurry up. Before the, the police show up and try to take the scene. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so who is going to go inside first? Um, I uh, I think that Hugo would actually sort of wait and okay. let Percy and the uh, go inside, and she would wait and try to run interference with the cops. She's mm-hmm. sort of like a talker. She, she would try if the cops are like, as soon as she could get the cops to like leave them alone, then she'd go inside. But she would try to run interference with the cops. All right, so Hugo uh, stands outside the door, like a little ways up, because this doorway is sort of, it's about maybe a few feet down, down the alley into the side. Yeah. So, Hugo uh, and Pressy through the broken door. Um, it says here that I do everything at full speed. Reflection comes later, if at all. So I'm probably going to be first if no one stops me. <laughs> okay. okay, so as uh, Pressy moves ahead quickly and moves to the open door, uh, you turn the corner and look through this shattered door, and it is shattered. It looks like something just exploded this door in from the outside. There are like pieces of it everywhere, and you you look inside, and the first thing you see, uh, lying is a, like on the ground. You see, um, it looks like a slumped body of a dog, but it has no head, and the head is sort of a few feet back, lying on the ground, looking up, and the face is frozen in like its final snarl, like it's ready to pounce and attack before it was beheaded in what looks like a single slice of a blade. Uh, you can see there's a printing press that takes up most of this room. Uh, you can also see that there's bundles of paper stacked all about, 
and it looks like uh, freshly printed pamphlets and things like that. The room, you smell ink and paper, but you also smell like the, the, the smell of blood, like that rusty scent of blood in the air. Mm. And as you sort of step through the broken door to get a better look at the room, you see, as you look up, hanging from the rafters are four bodies. Oh, Jesus. They're hanging tied by their feet. Each body has had their throat slit, and the cuts are so deep you can see the bones. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't go inside! <laughs> Do you like to drink it out? This guy's just like, this, this yeah, might this be. This is fine. You know, this. it says, reflection comes later, if at all. This might be some reflection, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this is when Pressy regrets everything. You, uh. Pressy never regrets anything. Pressy, you take in this, this scene and you see it looks like a man and a woman, middle aged, and then two teenage boys. They all appear as they're kind of sort of just rotating by these ropes that are binding them. It looks like each of them has something stuck wadded into their mouths as they spin. And uh, there's like blood splattered on the floor. But as you look, there's like a pattern under each body. And you realize that it looks like a bucket was placed under each body to catch the blood as it flowed out. What do you do? First thing I'm probably going to do is try to get the body stone. Okay. So when you move in, so you move into the room, you come around the printing press, and you actually see... Also, also definitely let everybody know before they even try to get in. Uh, so you round the printing press, and you see um, alongside the press, there are four empty buckets now. And they all have, like, dried, like, drying crimson blood on each of them. But when you look from where you're standing, there's no blood inside them now. And make me a spot hidden check as you get more up close with these bodies and you can get a better look at them. Probably too grossed out by the scene. Alright, so yeah, so you you just kind of start moving in to try to take these bodies down one by one. Duquan, what are you doing at this point as Pressy has moved into the room? And he's kind of explaining what's going on. Well, Duplois, upon seeing this scene, probably does like the sign of the cross. He's like, and he sort of comes in, he helps get down the bodies. That's the first thing. Alright, so when you move in, Duplois, first make me a spot hidden check. Okay. Oh, I don't see anything. <laughs> now make me a listen check. As you start to like help get the father down first. Okay. Also don't hear anything, apparently. At this point, no regrets. Pressy, you can also make a listen check. Okay, I'm good at that. Alright, so... Just barely, though. Yeah, just barely. Um, as you're... Pulling down the first body, which is the, the middle-aged man, uh, Pressy, you hear a low whimpering sound. 
It sounds like it's coming from a cabinet next to the printing press that's closed. Um, I, I guess I point that out immediately to you guys. Point towards it. Okay. Uh, Pra will sort of have his gun at the ready, but not like point it at the cabinet. And he will slowly open and see what's inside. Okay, as soon as you open the cabinet, uh, a small white puppy with a black ear whimpers and cowers back at the sight of you. Oh, can I can I comfort the puppy? Yes, I do. As you reach out, like to tr- it sniffs your hand and it kind of rubs against it, and then it starts like nuzzling at your hand, and it starts trying to lick your face. Okay, I'll I'll let it. It does that where it's like trying to climb up you and like get up mm-hmm. as close as it can. I'll get down on you so I can do okay. its thing. So, Preston, you see as Dupai is getting puppy kisses from this little white puppy with a black ear, and it's just... <laughs> it looks terrified. I probably am a little distracted by this because I find it adorable. <laughs> and as you're looking at this, Preston... <laughs> Outside, you goes like, Is that a puppy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You go. You, do you come to find the puppy? No! No! Hugo, help me with these bodies. Quite heavy. Don't pull me into this! (laughs) (laughs) I was perfectly fine! You you do notice something as uh, you're watching Dupois, like, comfort this little dog, and you see him, like, being tender. You you notice from under his foot, one of the pamphlets is, is on the floor facing up. And you kind of look at it, and it looks like the pamphlet that you found earlier on the road. It looks like that same pamphlet, except something has been printed across it in red ink. And it says, the same three questions and everything, but printed over the top, it says in huge letters that take up almost this whole paper, know your place. And as you look at it, you realize that that is not red ink. Oh. And you look at the buckets that have crimson drawing on them, and you look at the printing press, and you can just see, like, a gross drip of, like, congealing blood dripping off the printer. I like it. Yeah, at this, at this point, you got she hears pressing, you know. And she does, if she sees like a, uh, a a moment of an exit with a cop, you know, she will duck in and see these bodies and okay. just sort of stare for a minute. You step into this site of the decapitated dog, uh, three bodies hanging, one has been lowered to the ground. Uh, you see Duquois now has a small puppy in his arms. Pressy is holding a, a, a pamphlet in his hand. And just make me a spot hidden as you take this all in. Yeah, she's like looking around like, what? What is happening? 
success. What? By one point! <laughs> so, as you're kind of taking this in, you're, you're drawn up to, like, the, the young boys that are hung upside down, and you notice that over of the two boys, it looks like the paper that was shoved in his mouth, like, it looks like it was almost completely, like, chewed out, and you realize that he was still alive when this happened. That he was hung and his throat was slit and his paper was shoved in his mouth, but he did not die immediately. He died slowly. I think, Percy, because you're probably, because Dupont's distracted with this adorable puppy. <laughs> um, you probably see Percy for like a, just a moment. He has eyes like fog up. Like, that's pretty emotional to her. And she like, we we have to get these down. This is this is horrific. This is this, this very disrespectful to these people. She swipes her eyes for a moment and goes to uh go, goes to try to like get these bodies down any way she can. She's not the strongest person. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not the strongest either, but that's what I'm trying to do. Just get these down. Does she notice what you're holding? Does she, does she, you're holding that pamphlet out, right? Um, I was. I, I, I really did. I, I did this. I was like, hmm. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No problem. I, I was just, if she had it, she was going to look at it. But if not, she's just going to get these bodies down. Yeah, that's her her, her main concern. If you point out the boys and that, I, I will probably prioritize them first. I don't think she, like, vocalizes it. That's where she's going first. 100%. Yeah. That's heartbreaking to her. <laughs> okay, so, at, and as you start taking them down, and you're you're kind of taking in the scene a little more, from what you can tell, looking about, uh, it looks to you like um, the husband and wife were, were working at the typesetting table, and they must have been caught unawares, like surprised when whoever the assailant was came in. Um, but it looks like the two younger boys, the, the teenagers, may have put up a fight. Like there's signs of a scuffle further into the room, like the boys came to try and defend their parents and were unsuccessful in their defense. You also notice as you're moving them that these pamphlets with this Know Your Place are scattered everywhere. Like, a whole print setting of these was run through the printer. Yeah, so I'm looking, as I'm taking the body, like, or trying to attend to the body, so I'm seeing them now. And uh, just, like, sort of moving them around with my boot. Alright, while you're doing that, you guys can all make me a track check. Sure. Yeah, I knew that was gonna fail. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. We're good trackers. So as you're cleaning up the scene, uh the Sergeant does come in. Hmm. Sergeant Renault does come in and he takes a look around and he says, Oh, this is horrific. My god, I didn't think it would be this bad. Oh, how many men did this? 
one, evidently. It can't, it can't be just one. This is too much, too much murder, too much damage. All these the, the three, three men. I mean, the, these boys were almost grown men. And he's sort of looking around too, but he says, "Ah, your muddy bootprints have muddied up the floor. It's hard to tell how many there were." Don't you know when you first come into the scene to always be very careful about ruining the evidence? Well, no. now you know for next time. Dubois, don't, don't shake your head at me, Dubois. Dubois takes a, uh, his flask out and sort of takes a drink. Puppy <laughs> licks at the look of the flask. Do I have a wineskin? I give the puppy a little drink. <laughs> he kind of makes a face, and then he licks your face with his alcoholic throwing breath. <laughs> yeah, Presley could have a wine skin. He is a Frenchman. Okay, I, I hand it over to you. So, as you are you finish taking the bodies down, uh, you hear the sound of horses outside. And mm. coming through the door is the captain. So Captain Malone arrives. And you hear him ordering some other soldiers at the street to uh, continue to help remains continue to keep the crowd calm, and he comes around the corner and enters the room. And he kind of... Soldiers, report. What are your findings? Four dead, one possible assailant, sir. Any idea who the assailant was? According to the woman outside in a, uh, a Aristo, in a white carriage with red seatings. They seem to... I forget. He <laughs> <laughs> is the same man we saw at the catacombs. He was wearing all black. Hmm. Best to conceal himself. Hmm. Uh. Anything else? Do you know why these, these people were targeted? I believe they were rebels, as I point over it, of the presses. I believe they were the one printing out the propaganda. Mm-hmm. I'll have to have some men clean this up. We can't let the uh, citizens here see this. This could stir up dark feelings toward the aristocrats if they think that an aristocrat did this and murdered this man and his family. Mm-hmm. Renault uh, moves forward and says, Sir. And he removes the folded handkerchief from his breast pocket and he hands it and he says, This was found by my soldiers at the curb where this carriage was parked. So he takes it and he unfolds it and he sort of looks at it, feels the material between his fingers. Mm. This, this is very dangerous. This to be found here of all places. This, he looks around at all of you, he says, you are all sworn to silence over this. Not a word to be spoken. I don't, I don't think you all even really paying attention at this point. She is uh, actually, like, looking over, the, trying to make the bodies look as respectable as she can, and, uh, uh, Okay. So he, he looks, and he kind of sees you doing it, but he won't interrupt you doing this for them. Uh, he looks at you all and he says, 
Do not speak of this to anyone. The day after tomorrow, or I guess it is almost dawn, tomorrow, so the next dawn, I want your whole company to meet me at the Palace of Versailles. You are to ride and be there in the morning hours. Find me. Speak of this to no one. This is very important. No one can know about this. You understand? Me, me, sir. All right. You are dismissed. I will have the other men finish cleaning this up. Your work here is done for the night. Me, Sergeant. Take your men. Go about your business. Get your affairs taken care of here before you head out. And he sends you on your way, dismisses you. And as you guys are leaving, uh, it is actually uh, dawn, like the sun is coming up now. Oh, jeez. All right. You've been loving on that puppy for a hot second. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you guys want to do? You have today, you're dismissed to go about your business. And then you have to meet back up and ride for Versailles. Um, so, as Hugo, like, stands up and, you know, sort of wipes her hands clean her body, she looks at Dubois and Pressine uh, and, like, I have some contacts I can uh, perhaps ask about this family, see if they had any more enemies outside of the monarchy, since perhaps they're revolutionaries. I do not know that I uh, agree with the means of this murder, but... Nobody should be murdered this way. Nobody should no. be murdered at all, but not this way. I have no respect for revolutionaries, but this is ungodly. I'm, I'm sure this doesn't matter, but what day of the week is it? Um, that is a great question. We'll say it's, I don't know, a Thursday. Okay. John, making, making sure it's not Sunday morning. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta go to church? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> gotta go to church for multiple reasons. Mm. So it's not the most, it is uh, Jeffy. So, do any of you have any business you want to attend to before we fast forward to the next day? I, I, I would definitely just like to get some information on this family. Okay. That, that's all I, I do knew you want to do that, but that's not all. All right. So, let's see. Probably like just you know ask because like if I'm away from Presti and Dupont, I would be out of uniform and being the revolutionary I am, I I wonder if I actually know this family. Okay, um, so you um guys all kind of part and go your separate ways for the, the day to get your stuff in order. So uh, you go. Um, you don't know the printer personally. But you do know of, like, a group of them that have been printing these documents and things. Uh, because with the meetings that are happening, 
actually at Versailles, and the uh, three different groups that are trying to uh, kind of come together to sort of restructure and help fix the financial and poverty problems that are happening. Um, they're trying to get the, the lower class public involved, get push them to, you know, be interested in what's happening, to let them know what's going on. So they're definitely trying to incite them to act. Not maybe not violently, but get them involved in what's happening. So and having seen what you did, uh, you would know that it uh, definitely looks like someone is trying to sabotage that. In a way of it looks like someone is trying to get them angry. Not just active, but somebody's trying to get them angry so that they respond in anger and violence. Because mm -hmm. this, for you, seeing this, seeing this printed on these pamphlets, it, it probably made you somewhat angry inside to see this. Like it was an insult to what people are trying to do to fix France for the regular citizen. Um, if I can. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see what happens to the catacombs. Like, go back there and see if um, they they finished or how the progress they made. And okay. Maybe a stray dead dog floats down there or something like that. Yeah, so uh, you go back, and it's after dawn, and they actually have cleared out and closed back up for the day. Um, you know that they try to do the transportation of bodies at night because it's less disturbing. Um. You do run into a couple of the workers who are kind of picking up and leaving, and they see you and they say, what are you doing here? Thought you were off to something more interesting. Just wanted to make sure that, uh, was, wait, was anyone else after that cart and that dog, was there anything else that happened? Uh... Oh, once you all fired off your muskets down below, you scared off whatever was down there. And it was mostly a quiet night. I thought that the big fat doctor was going to peel over, but he managed to get his ass on a horse and ride out of here as soon as the sun came up. Wheezing and spitting the whole way. <laughs> you don't bury yourselves too much into drinks. What do you care? It only leads to more sorrow as I leave. They you hear them muttering and say, head back off on the, you know, counting their, their little bit of pay that they got for the night between the two of them. I was about to say, now I think about it, I don't think they can afford it. <laughs> Why not? Dufois uh, probably wants to find somewhere safe for this puppy, first of all. But I, I don't. No, like, as a French soldier, do I have, like, a house that I live in? You do have your own home. You also, uh, when you're when you're working um, mm -hmm. or staying, like, in the barracks at Versailles, okay. you do have um, a bunk that you pinkied. Uh, okay. And you, you do notice that as you're living with the puppy, the puppy has curled up in your arms and he's sleeping comfortably. He's I, probably, I probably take off my soldier jacket. And I sort of curled up in my arm, and I let the puppy sort of rest there in the tip of my arm in the jacket. He will nuzzle in and just sort of like happily uh, kind of lay there every once in a while. 
He's okay. very, very attached to Dubois. I will take it home. Because I don't want to just, like, let it out on the street because some fucking people are going to eat it or something. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, that's probably very likely. Um, yeah, exactly. If, if Percy ever does get to talk to you about this, because apparently both of you have a connection, at least as drinking buddies. Mm. He helps oh. your drinking habit. Okay. Um, um, he probably mentions uh, that the local abbot he was raised at would probably be able to take care of the puppy during the day. Oh, okay. Okay, so I would probably say Dupois and uh, Pressy probably go out to the bar, discuss the crazy shit they saw today, the drink. The puppy will be sitting at your feet at the bar. Oh. <laughs> and he'll, he'll see about taking it to the abbot then. Okay. So you uh, have a few drinks, you go to see the abbot. Um, the abbot, he says, oh, I would happily take care of the dog for you if, uh, uh, would like us to. And you see the puppy, like, it stays by your feet. And it looks at the abbot and kind of, like, goes a like, and it stays, like, behind your legs. Like, it, it doesn't want to go over by him. Aww. And it looks up at you and like, Oh, just a net. <laughs> oh no, I know what Dylan wants to do. <laughs> oh no. You you don't even probably don't even need to roll for this. Um Cressy's probably tearing up a little bit. The, the puppy like puts his paws up on your knees and is like ah! pawing at your leg. No. <laughs> you know what you gotta do, Dylan. Put him in your hat. Forever. Put him in your hat. He he is a, he's our mascot now. Normally, I'd be fine with this, but it's called Cthulhu. You don't want a pet. I know. Dupois will will sort of hold the puppy up and sort of nuzzle his his nose against it, give it one last pet, and uh, he'll say, uh, I live well, my friend. And he'll hand it over to the the priest. As soon as the priest goes to take it, the puppy's like, Mm. Nip his fingers, and he's like pawing at Dupois, like he doesn't want you to let him go. Oh, well, not. I got a job to do. I can't keep the puppy. He, uh, the priest is holding him, and he kind of wrestles loose, and he runs back under your feet. Oh, no! Oh, no! <laughs> okay, I'll take the puppy back, though. He licks your face again. Oh, uh, I guess he's coming home with me, then. I guess so. <laughs> he looks over at the, at the abbot one more time. He's like, <laughs> I lean over to the puppy, and you, obviously you hear me say this. I'm like, don't worry, I don't like him too much either. He, like, <laughs> he licks it across his face. And kind of like nuzzles his nose against it. It's a cold puppy nose. Pressy <laughs> boops the nose. And then you go. Oh. Dear lord. Um, so before the next day, we'll ride to Versailles. Um, the last thing I do want to do is find, uh, Romain's. Okay, you can easily find him. Question, because Romain's is also revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Does Romain's know I'm a woman? Uh, have you told Romain's you're a woman? Because you are very skilled at your disguise. I am, yes, I'm very good at my disguise. I feel like maybe I have told Bonaise I'm a woman because we're both like in this together. Okay. Yeah. 
So I think I find the names and um, so um looking for him. You actually find him uh he lives in this little like walk up and mm-hmm. he answers the door when you go to find him and his like aged father lives with him, he takes care of him. So Mr. Bonane Senior is like, Hello, how are you? Good day, I need to speak to your son, if possible. Of course. Ah, Mr. You have a comrade in arms who's come to see you, son. And you see uh, Michelle kind of stoop under a doorway because he's super duper tall. He usually tries to slouch a little because he's so tall. He doesn't want to look like he's big as he is. And he sees you and he's like, you my friend. How are you? Uh, we need to have a very quick conversation, please. Of course. Father, if you need anything, I'm going to go talk to my friend. And so, oh, son, I am. I have my wine, I have I have my bread, I am well taken care of. You have, and you have set me up with someone to visit while you're away. And he says, I'm good. All right, Father, he gives him a pat on the cheek. I will be back momentarily. And he will follow you to out. The people who were killed were revolutionaries. I feel like this might affect us. What? Uh, I, I mean, I, I didn't pay too much attention. What, what were they doing? They were printing the, the revolutionary pamphlets. Ah, they were raising awareness. Good, good, good. Not good, not good if they were killed and the, and the message printed in their blood was know your place. Mm. We, must, we must be vigilant. We must determine who is, is done this. We must keep our ears and our eyes open, my friend. Were you told about the handkerchief? Uh, no. I was at the street uh, keeping the, uh, the night-shirted uh, would-be rioters in, in check. There was a handkerchief found at the scene. Mm-hmm. Very, very fine material. Only the richest royals would have with the initials M.A. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. You think you think an Aristo, like... Uh, that that high up in the in the pecking order would be involved in something as grotesque as what happened. The only witness saw Aristo at the scene in a black in a white a white carriage with gilded breath. Isn't that uh, the same carriage that ran down those two poor fellows? Apparently, I I didn't see that happen, but that's what um, Percy and Dupont said. Huh. Did she did she see him like did she know what he looked like? We could find him. Just that he was an aristo. Ah damn. I know they all look the same. Smug, wigged, and makeup. Like, I just wanted you to be kept up to date so you could continue to spread the information. Especially when our own people are being taken out in such large numbers. These boys were very young. Mm, true. And he, he reaches up and he scratches and his fake eye because it, it itches sometimes. And he uh, he says, yes, we, uh, the, the boys did not deserve the fate they received. We, we must be vigilant. But we must be quiet because I know I know the sergeants in Dubois. I know that they are they are loyal to the king and country and they don't understand. Exactly. Um, Take care of your father. We, we ride to Versailles tomorrow. Yes, I will see you at dawn by, by the entrance to the wall. And then 
My father will be well. I have a young woman from down the street who will tend to my father. Oh, look, the neighborhood cat is coming back. <laughs> Good kitty. Oh. He is so friendly. My father loves him. He no. <laughs> Damn pussycats. They're everywhere. They're taking over France. <laughs> These damn stray cats. Yeah, she just um, she says her goodbyes, and uh, yeah, that that's all that I wanted to do before yeah, they left. He says, uh, leads in, and he pats you on the shoulder and says, "Give Joseph uh, my greetings." And of course, and uh, say hello to your uh, assistant for me. You should probably keep your eyes elsewhere. Au revoir. Au revoir. Yes, they took care of your wife, Joseph. I'll give her your best. Merci. Lenata. <laughs> all right, so uh, you all finish up your business in the city. Um, and in the early hours before dawn, you meet at the entrance, one of the many entrances to Paris. And you can see outside the gates of Paris, uh, there are all these, like, taverns and bars set up. Uh, basically, there is such a high tax to bring goods into the city through the gates that a lot of these tavern owners have built their taverns outside the walls to keep their costs down. So as you're riding through, there are many an option if you want to stop for an, uh, an early morning <laughs> beverage on your way out, though the sergeant seems to be very focused on riding straight ahead and heading for Versailles. The clock, eyes every bar. I definitely don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Do you have to roll a sanity check to see if I can get past all these bars? Um, you can roll me a power check. Okay. Oh. There's any drunk glasses. It's up top of your character's dice. I, I okay. That. But besides that, I do nothing. You better power through this. Oh! Okay. Dubois uh, is focused this morning on his mission, and so he does not veer off. Though he may take a couple swigs from his own personal flask. Yeah, I was going to say. And uh, tucked under inside your coat as you ride is a small puppy. Who refused to be left behind as you tried to, to make arrangements otherwise. He was having none of it. He wants to be with you. Yes. This puppy's going to die and you're going to lose all your sanity. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> so you guys make this journey to Versailles. Uh, you head southwest out of Paris. Uh, and it's about a 10 mile journey. So it takes a bit of time, which is why you have to leave at such an early hour. Mm. Uh, you actually pass as you're leaving, like, all of the wagons and stuff coming into the city, like, the farmers and things like that are starting to line up at the gates, because it's a long process for them to get through and to get into town, and it's just a pain, uh, just so much, like, money that they have to spend in order to get their, their you know, wares into the market, and, uh, a couple of them pass, like, broken down carts on the side that didn't make it all the way, and they're working on them, trying to get going, but, you manage to make it without too much uh, trouble. And as you get down further away from Paris and into the open country, 
It's actually quite beautiful, spacious, uh, Versailles, very beautiful. And it's such a contrast to the streets of Paris. I mean, every time you come here, it's striking because it's like a shimmering expanse of this finely manicured lawns and gardens. They stretch in all directions. There's all these gentlemen and ladies sort of promenading around in their finery, you know, jewels and all this. Like, so there's just the poor Paris, and then there's all these aristocrats just living high on the hog. Um, <laughs> and you can see as you ride in that there's gazebos along, like, pathways in the garden. There's, like, ponds. There's, you know that there's food, like cheeses and fine wines and cake. <laughs> it's it's literally picturesque. So as you ride into Versailles, uh, it is just this open expanse of, like, there's a front sort of driveway type area where it sort of is like a circular shape around the side where all these wagons and things park, leading to the main gate with a palace in the distance and the gardens beyond that. And as you ride in, you all roll these spot hidden checks. I need glasses. <laughs> that can be arranged. Let's see. Alright. And actually, if you have the stream open, I'm, I'm looking looking for trouble. Oh, the cats! Oh, these damn cats! Another cat! Oh my god! Alright, so I actually put a picture on the stream page of Versailles, but I can put one up in the window as well for you guys to see. Uh, let's see here. Versailles. So, if you guys are looking in roll 20, this is the Palace of Versailles. And I also put it up on the stream. So, let's see, what are these spot hidden rolls? Ah, the So, as you ride up on your horses and you pass by these carriages that have, you know, their various uh, drivers sort of tending to them and, and brushing the horses and taking care of them, you're passing along this line of a sweeping driveway and you do a double take over your shoulder as you pass. Tucked between two carriages, you see a white, beautiful carriage with red trim. And a surly-looking manservant is standing, waiting next to it, just leaning against it as you guys ride past. No one else seems to notice but you in that moment. I, I like to think a random cat just, like, jumps from a roof onto my face and, like... Well, there are, like, servants and stuff coming by and, like... Katie, we can't hear you. I know, I'm on mute for a reason. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I'm freaking out. Okay. Um, there are servants and people like that moving past with, like, items that they're bringing in and, like, deliveries that they're making. So there are a lot of people going back and forth here, and some other aristocrats and things like that. Okay. Can I 
get off my horse and approach the manservant? Sure, you can dismount and approach the manservant. Okay. I will say, uh, bonjour, monsieur. Bonjour. Whose, uh, carriage is this? My master's, of course. Who is? The man who owns this carriage. Fucking piece of shit. <laughs> Got him! <laughs> you, should, you should just do that in character. You fucking piece of shit. Well, I probably do. You, you see his uh, his hand sort of like comes to rest on the on the like handle of his whip that he has on his side, and he's oh. looking at you like through kind of like slanted eyes. You should move along, soldier. Your men are you're falling behind your men. Yeah. I will walk back over and get on my horse, and I will ride ride back up with the men, and I will I'll probably tell. Probably tell them about the carriage. Romains does a, a look over his shoulder. Whose is it? The servant would not say. Oh, what a bastard. Yeah. You know those aristocrats seem like to keep their privacy. No, they just like to look down their noses at us. Stay right, too. <sighs> the servant's not an aristocrat, though. Exactly, and uh, I'm going to just mount my horse and go over to the servant. Oh! Romains will uh, dismount and walk his horse back and keep a distance, but sort of like watch. (laughs) How much time does it look like we have? Um, You didn't get a specific time. You were told by the captain to meet during the morning, and it is early morning, probably about 10 a.m. All right, then then I think I would join Katie then. Uh, I'll probably get back on my horse and go. <laughs> yeah, we're coming, motherfucker! Damn. <laughs> the, sergeant, uh, the sergeant will dismount and looks back and sort of watches and is waiting, like with a questioning look on his face. Hugo uh, approaches the uh, the, uh, the the aristocrat or not the, the servant and uh, says, um, "Sir, but do you, by order of the queen, I, I must." Ask you very nicely to tell us who your master is. Huh. By order of the queen, I cannot say, as my master is a dear, dear friend, and I don't have to speak to soldiers. Move along. You are just a servant, no? I am in a much better position as this, being a servant of this man, than you are as a soldier in the army. Hey, now, now, as I walk in between the conversation... Can't we all just be friends? I'm being very friendly. I think that you should move along before you cause a scene. My master would be very upset. He don't want to be punished. And why would your master be upset with a scene? It seems to me that you're the one causing the scene. You're being perfectly friendly. I'm having a conversation. My master, you must step away now and go about your business. I think that your sergeant is waiting for you. I don't see your master here to give orders, just you. I speak in his stead. What kind of master gives a lonely servant so much power? Perhaps I am not so lonely. You're very low to me. 
Is there is there any way I could discern that maybe he is the master pretending to be a servant? You could uh, make, uh, I would say, a, maybe a luck roll. A luck roll, okay. So, uh, you don't think he's the master. He's not direct, like, he's definitely not an aristocrat. He's just nice as a servant would be, but he's not. And he wouldn't be standing out here in the street with the other wagon men and servants. Obviously, we're going to get nothing out of this man. You wouldn't know anything about those murders last night anyway. So, I say out loud, looking right at him. I don't think this man knows anything about anything, honestly. He just smiles. This and it's a really one of those disturbing, like it does not reach his eyes. Perhaps masters shouldn't hire such idiots anyway. On your way. Bye. Looks like we touched a nerve. Pressy, make me a spot hidden check. Okay. As you're walking away. <laughs> Spin the look! Spin the look! It's so much! How? What the hell? How? So you would spend enough luck to get it down to a 65, which would be a success. You'd have to spend 7 luck. How do I do that? So you go in your character sheet, you actually take the luck away from your luck total on your sheet. So you just have to, when you roll luck next time, you're just gonna have to, you know, roll, hope you roll lower. My luck skill, so to speak. Yes. By expenses. Yes. Eventually, okay, you sure. can run out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I, I, I'm sure I will, and I will spend it on this. This seems worthwhile. All right. So you spend seven luck. Um, as you are turning away, you see, walking past the gate at the far end in the area of the palace, an older aristocratic gentleman with a young blonde on his arm, who looks over her shoulder and makes eye contact with you and smiles wistfully as they disappear behind the gate, continuing on their walk. <laughs> Percy's giving that's the biggest smirk on his face. <laughs> Percy's gone. His attention is gone for the rest of the day. <laughs> uh, Hugo just looks his servant up and down with the most, like, demeaning look. You know, like... We're not going to get more here. We should go. I agree. It's just sad the state of servants these days, isn't it? And uh, she turns around to go back to her horse. Sorry to cause the trouble. And I use my hat and do the formal bow and all that. Yeah. He just watches you walk away. As you are mounting up and starting to ride, a, a young, like, page boy runs past, and uh, he mutters quietly as he passes by. Um, yeah, you should. You shouldn't talk to him. Nope, not at all. And he kind of keeps running ahead toward the gates. Thanks, random boy. <laughs> he disappears around like the gate. Was that us, or he was just muttering to himself? He, it seemed like he was like saying it to you because you had been talking to him. And he, what did he say again? He says, oh, you, "You shouldn't. You shouldn't talk to him. You should stay away." And then he ran around the corner and disappears through the gate. Okay. Hugo just like looks at the two of you, raises an eyebrow, and uh, you know, readies her horse to uh, 
Right. already seems over it. He's already moving. Yeah. Alright, so you guys ride through the gates, you ride over to like the, the soldier barracks that are on the property. Uh, your horses are taken by some of the stable boys and brought in and they're going to be watered and taken care of. And uh, the sergeant says, I will locate the captain. Uh, meet me at the servant's entrance of the palace. Uh, give me 30 minutes, please. Oh. Don't get into any trouble. He eyeballs, he eyeballs all of you back and forth. He looks at Romains and he's like, keep an eye on them. Alright. And he will disappear as he's looking for your captain. And you are all left standing outside the barracks. You can see uh, Pressy, you see walking in the garden this, this old man with this woman on his arm. Every once in a while, she takes a look over her shoulder to kind of keep an eye on where you are. <sighs> when the old man isn't looking, she takes a chance and just sort of does a... <sighs> okay, okay, so, um, are there any, like, flower have, bits nearby? Is this, like, a Have I garden? seen this? Have I seen this girl? Make a spot. Have I seen this happen? <laughs> I have such a low spot here! I know, it's great! I'm gonna try yes! to... Oh! My fucking God! You have this! Wow. Yeah, I am literally going over to Pressy because in my bio, it has a thing that his mama bears are so cute. So I know about your ass, Pressy. <laughs> I'm going over to Pressy and just leaning close and going, Do you think today is, is the best day for this? No. But I guess every day could be a chance for it up, right? God. Don't don't you already have the heart of a wonderful young lady? I do, but apparently it is not meant to be. I'm using the options I have. Don't you think that working harder for that one heart is more important than just Dipping everywhere. Why does love have to be so restrictive? <laughs> love is the most powerful power in all of the world. Why should we limit it to just one? I'm not sure this is the correct environment for your thoughts on love, Percy. What's going on? It's not. We have a job to do. Exactly. So, Dupois, while this other conversation is happening, and you're playing with the puppy, so you can't play are walking amongst the garden, and they get a little closer to the side by where the barracks are. And, um, you, you see a couple of well-dressed men, their, their wigs very well-trimmed, their makeup is spot-on, and they're talking in hushed tones, and you hear one of them say, the shame of that Louis-Joseph de France, that poor boy, the Dauphine, he is so gravely ill. Have you heard of his consumption? Oh, I don't know that he'll survive it. I hear that they have a doctor taking care of him every day, and they don't think that he'll live more than a few months. They sent him back to Paris because they couldn't they, they couldn't keep him here anymore. He was too sick. And the other was like, oh, that's terrible. The crown prince would you die? Oh. 
Yes, that is, that is just, we must, we must hope and pray that he will be all right. Yes, indeed we must. The poor, the poor queen and king, if they were to lose their, their son in that terrible way. Poor monarchy. Mm. And, uh, then you, uh, one of them says, though, I mean, I don't know what the boy would inherit. I hear that the king is broke. It's all out of money. The other one says, oh, I think that's just a rumor. Didn't you see the reports? Uh, supposedly everything was fine. It's just the, the, the lower class trying to stir up, you know, oh, let's let's have our say in it. They're trying to get this uh, third estate garbage passed and get a parliament representing the people instead of our monarchy. Dupont shakes his head and he hears this. It's insanity. But, all right, well, oh, are you going to go to uh, the Count's party, though? Did you, did you get an invite? I actually got an invite this time. I'm, I'm kind of excited. I, I, it's, they're so hush us. Yes. Oh, oh, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't receive one myself, no. Oh, oh, maybe I shouldn't talk about it. Um, I must excuse <laughs> myself. And he, uh, he says, uh, I'll take my leave. I'm going to go see if I can... Uh, turn the ear of that beautiful young woman walking there, and he kind of departs and heads down the pathway in the direction of the blonde and the older gentleman. <laughs> so, the guy going to the blonde is the one who got the invitation, correct? Uh, yes. Okay. How does he look? Oh, he is like this young, maybe 20-year-old Sort of tall, good-looking young Frenchman. On a scale of one to ten, on possible appearance, what do you think I'd be? Um, have you ever seen uh, the Man in the Iron Mask with Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah. Think of Leo as uh, King Louis in that one. He's kind of that like young, like really like ah, I've got all my stuff together, real confident. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So, so do I see him going towards her as we're leaping? Yes, you do. You you have been paying very close attention to her, and you immediately notice this this young, good-looking Frenchman in his perfectly manicured wig and makeup, walking with a big grin on his face toward her. He even like, stops and picks a flower from one of the bushes and continues in that direction. <laughs> You see him. You literally stole your game <laughs> after I fucked you. <laughs> he, he walks up and he gives a a, a very a, like polite sort of bow to the older gentleman, and then does the whole takes the woman's hand and kisses her hand and presents her the flower with a smile. <laughs> She kind of looks around, and she, over his shoulder, makes eye contact with Pressy. Okay, so, Pressy, what's the sanity? Okay, it's still above half, but I'd like to think he's got, like, a little angel Pressy. He's got a little demon Pressy. And the demon <laughs> one's like, hey, are you going to stand for that? Just go over there and show him who's the better fencer. Yeah, you're really good at the rapier. And the other one's like, no, remember, don't you want to get that promotion? We're going to keep moving. He's like, and he shoes away the devil one, and he goes. <laughs> All right, 
So you guys are making your way uh, kind of across the property to be on time to meet at the entrance on the other side. You do notice, like, you hear all these other little, like, stories, like the local news of the day happening. Um, but you are kind of surprised that you don't hear anything about the murders last night. Like, for it being such a gruesome and grotesque and violent affair, even though Versailles is 10 miles outside of the city, you're kind of shocked. Like, it's been kept on the down low. It seems like the captain has really put up a put up, just to squeeze on it, like, don't say anything. Okay. You want to stop and talk to anybody? Do you just keep moving and go about your business? Um, I want to find other servants to ask about the servant outside. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, they're everywhere. Like, literally, this place, if, if there's not, like, there's almost, like, probably more servants than aristocrats who move about and, like, are at work so you could literally just be like, you, come here. Like men, women, young boys, young girls. I want to find a sweet little look, uh, sweet uh, looking lady who looks about my age. Okay. Yep. Uh, make me just for me all uh, local. That's a fail. All right. So instead you find a crotchety old like doorman. <laughs> <laughs> you almost stop this, this younger woman as she's sprinting past with like a pile of towels in her arms. And instead, you sort of run right into this older man who was holding the door for him. Like, oh! <laughs> excuse me, sir. Uh, excuse me, sir. Um, I, I need to. It's perfectly fine. I, I need to ask you a question, please. The man outside with the white carriage with the red guillotine. What about him? Uh, do you have his name? I don't have his name. Do you know who his master is? <clears throat> I do. Can you please tell me? Oh, well, he serves Count Fenelik, of course. Count what? Fenelik. Um, thank you for your time. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, you're very welcome. Make me a psychology role. Okay. Fell again! Right. He seems constipated. Yeah. 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 I look at him and just go, I hope you feel better later. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Well, if I could do anything for you, please let me know. Of course. Uh, there, sir. Okay. I, I'm, I'm going to go find Cressy. Uh, Okay. Me- <laughs> Meanwhile, Chrissy, are there any noble ladies nearby? Like a little guy. Oh my god! Oh my yes. god! Yes, there are a number of noble ladies nearby. What are you looking for? I go up to them and I greet myself as well as I can. Uh, they sort of giggle a little bit to see you, like all dressed up in your shoulder uniform, and you're you're dashing, you know, kind of like good luck to you. They kind of giggle and <laughs> hello, soldier. <laughs> How are you? Hello, young ladies. And then and he's gonna he's gonna ask. I, I can't I can't put that in. Um, he's gonna ask about uh, who Blonde was. Oh, the gentleman. Oh, he is Marco Desidio. He's uh, you know young. He's from mm, 
outside of Paris. He's racing to the area. His father has money. How long has he been here? Oh, he's been frequenting the palace for the last five or six months. In her monologue, okay, I don't have a chance. He's really set up a full game with her. Mm. Thank you for your time, ladies. You're welcome. They kind of look at each other. They seem disappointed, and you hear one of them like, oh, they always are more interested in the, the good ones always like the other good-looking ones. How, how do they? What? what, what okay, well, okay. What's their appearance? Well, the girls, oh, they're they're pretty. They're good looking. Like they're 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 you know. I mean, they're dressed in these nice fine robes. They're done up. You know, these are. They're, if if they're not with any guys, so I'm at least nice enough to kiss them on the hand and stuff. All right. Yeah. They, they will. Uh, you do the round of kisses. They all giggle and blush. And um. This guy's very white knight, so he's probably actually literally saying, "The ladies." Uh, just make me a spot hidden check. Oh, oh god. Okay. Um, are they you, wearing corsets? Is that what I'm spotting here? Um, they are, but as you, uh, <laughs> are, like, getting, like, you've done your rounds of all of them, you look up and you see the blonde across the way, and her cheeks are bright red, and she looks, like, oh, she's kind of taken aback. I, I pretend like I ignore. <laughs> she she turns and puts her arm in the old man's arm and, and starts continuing her walk across the garden. Uh, Pressy knows this game. The girls, oh, giggle as, the girls giggle as you walk away. All the Cthulhu has now become the dating game. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Oh no! I see why I picked the Kenku for the other thing. I love it. All right, so you eventually make it to the servants' entrance, um, and you find the sergeant waiting for you, and he says, oh, "It's already been. You are taking forever." Pressy, stop impressing the women. Sorry, you know. This is why I'm married and have children. Alright, I need you to come with me this way. And he will lead you inside. So, when he does, it takes you through uh, some side corridors up a set of stairs and into uh, a. Like, and this place is lavish, but. You notice as you move through it, as nice it is as it is, you can see where it's kind of starting to fall apart. Like you can see sort of the cracks in the facade of this wealthy to do that they're putting up. In fact, too, like now that you're inside, there is the faintest scent of like you think it's urine somewhere inside. Like it, it it's got this like kind of gross smell under all the perfumery and all the flowers. Like they're really trying to put on this show. But you can see behind the curtain a little that it's not all good. Everything is not as up there as you may think. So he leads you in, and he takes you to uh, one of the apartments that is on site. And inside the room, when you walk in, 
You see Captain Malone waiting patiently with his arms behind his back. He leads you through another set of doors. These are large and gilded into this like beautiful chamber. And inside, you see sitting the big, fat, overweight, out of breath Dr. Rigolf, who is just. <laughs> And he watches as you come in. He recognizes you from the other night in Paris. He nods at Pressy. Because Pressy followed her orders. And uh, he says, These are the ones that you say that we can trust then. And Alon nods and says, Yes, these, these are the most trustworthy. They, they are the ones that found the scene. They can be trusted. You can tell them what we need to do. And he says, Oh, all right then. Very bad news of what happened. The dead prince and his wife and the boys. Yes, very bad news indeed. Uh, but uh, this is this is the moment that I've been waiting for. I've been watching Benelik. He has gotten too close to Marie Antoinette. Too close. She trusts him too explicitly. And he's up to something. It is his carriage that the captain described. I know it. It sits in the driveway now. It's the one that was at the scene of the murders. He tried to stir up unrest. Ah. Fenelik is up to something. He's a danger to the crown. We need to find out what it is. We need to find evidence that he is... (laughs) (laughs) He kind of coughs a little rag. He says, hold on. He says, we need to find evidence that he is not who he says he is. I need people I can trust to investigate. I want I want you to go to his residence and find me this evidence and bring it back so that we may show the queen that her trusted friend is no friend but a traitor to France. He's just German scum. When you do this, we, sir. Ah, oh, good, good, good. Ah, oh, then, uh, Sergeant, Captain, uh, I leave it to you to give your men directions to the comps, residents. I leave it to you men to do your duty, use your training. Do not get caught. Speak nothing of my involvement or the captain's involvement. Benelik must not know that we are onto him. If he finds out, it will go terrible for all of us. He has the fear of the queen, and thinks things can turn us on us in a second if we are not very careful. Do you understand? We. Good. Uh, all right. Captain, I believe Robin has returned and is prepared to go with you as well. I trust him too. He's a good man. And the captain nods and says, Yes, I will send for Adrian immediately. And you are excused by the doctor who is now wheezing heavily and struggling to breathe after just a short conversation. All right, so you uh, leave the room, and the captain escorts you into the hallway, and in hushed tones tells you, I am trusting you. So the the Count Fenelik lives in uh, Poissy. It's a small town to the north. Figure out your plan. Be very careful. He is a powerful man. And 
you cannot trust him or those that he has taken to his side. Do you understand? Hmm. Please, yeah. Yeah, as you exit the palace, you see this tall uh, man in his, like, his uniform is, like, pristine. You guys know that he doesn't, he no longer has to do, like, dirty work usually because he, like, marches in parades now and shows off. And he waves mm. with his wooden hand because his real hand was blown off in an accident. So you got Nebuchadnezzar rolls his eyes. Thank you for joining us for Uncanny Adventures podcast. Come back next time to continue our adventures.